We're so glad you joined us today for our podcast. You're gonna hear from Pastor Michael Bowles. Pastor Michael's a Teen Challenge alumni and he's currently planning a church in Los Angeles. He shared a great message at Central Valley Teen Challenge's tent meeting. Listen in and be blessed. God has used the ministry of Teen Challenge in my life. I am a product of Teen Challenge. I am a repeat offender. <laughs> Shout out to all the people on Restoration. You know, when, um, when God restored Samson, you know, he had got his eyes gouged out. He was chained to some pillars. In that final act of his life, his comeback, he killed more in that moment than he had done in any battle or any fight previously. And I believe that when God restores, he restores you better, he restores you stronger, and that you will conquer and defeat unlike anything before. You thought you had tasted life prior to this. I believe that God has an amazing life for you. And I know that's a churchy thing to say, but I believe that living your life for Jesus, you're truly living the dream. And my goal at the end of this is that you know that song that we were singing, we were singing, I'm gonna see a victory. My prayer is at the end of this, that you would sing it like you stink and mean it. And you would sing it and declare it over your life, that you would declare it over your family, that you will declare it over your city, that you will declare it over your state and your country and to the ends of the earth. I grew up in Bakersfield, California, and if you know where that is, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I found myself believing the lie that I was gonna do drugs and that was just gonna be the pattern in my life. If you know anything about me, you know that my story, having grown up in church, I'd have moments where I'd be with Jesus and then I'd go right back and then I'd be with Jesus and then I'd go right back. And I just, I believe the lie that nothing could ever change. I was always going to do this. I was always going to cope in this way. I was always going to default in this way. And I found myself on Union Avenue in room 23 at the Tropicana Motel. If you know from, ba if you're from Bakersfield, you know that's not, that's not like the Ritz-Carlton. And um, the band and I, we, we stopped for tacos off Union on our way here in Bakersfield. And I had just yelped a place. I'm like a foodie, so I like, you know, trying to find like good spots. So I yelped this taco spot. It had hundreds of reviews. And it was right next to the motel that I was getting high in. And that motel had changed its name. I had no idea. It was the Tropicana last time I left. And it changed its name to Renaissance Motel and has a remodel. And I haven't been inside, but it looks nice on the outside. Now, if you know anything about Renaissance, there was a period in history where art just lulled. Like there was a lull in art. People weren't dreaming. People weren't creating art. Culture had kind of just became stagnant. In the 15th and 16th century, Renaissance means a revival of arts and culture. And as I was looking at that motel, I feel like God spoke to me and said, son, in the 21st century, 
I am bringing a revival of broken dreams. I'm bringing a revival of messed up lives and broken families. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited that we serve a God that when he makes a promise, come on, it's yes and amen. Come on, is anyone in here excited that we serve a God that exceeds our dreams? That we serve a God who has many names because he could do many things. Come on, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lion of the tribe of Judah because he takes back what the enemy has stolen. And I am a testimony to that. And to the moms in here and the grandmas in here, I am living proof that prayer works. Do not stop praying for your kids. I am here today as a product of prayer from a crazy Pentecostal praying mom. I would come home high or drunk and I would hear Joyce Myers. And I would hear my mom speaking in Arabic. Like, mom, you don't know Arabic. She was praying in tongues, doing whatever it takes so that her son would find life and life more abundantly. And oh, my prayer tonight is we would, I'm like, can we just hurry up and get done so we can sing that song? Can we give it up for the worship band? Weren't they amazing? I'm gonna pray, and as Josh helps me uh, sound more spiritual than I am, and we're gonna believe for revival, for a renaissance moment tonight. Will you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much that you choose people like me to use to bring your heaven to earth, your kingdom here on earth. It's the most ridiculous, scandalous thing that I get to stand up here. I never would have dreamed that I'd be doing what I'm doing. I never would have dreamed that I'd be a lead pastor or planting a church in Los Angeles City. Never would have dreamed that, that you, what, would, what you had for me. But God, you are a God of remarkable things. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would just build the expectancy in this room. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just start massaging the hearts of the people under this canopy, that they would just be receptive to your voice and what you want to speak to them. God, I believe that you're going to start getting people on rabbit trails of dreams, even while I'm speaking. It's going to have nothing to do with the message, but you're going to get them excited about their future. They're going to start dreaming about uh, what you have for them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do what only you can do in this moment. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. God, I pray at the end of this, no one would remember Michael Bowles, but they would remember the name that is above all names, and that is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, have your way in here tonight. We pray in your holy and precious name. All God's people said? Amen. Hey, thanks, Josh. Isn't Josh amazing? Can we give it up for Josh? Thanks, ma'am. God wants to speak to you tonight. And there's a promise that is in John chapter 10. And I feel like this has just been a theme verse for my life this month. And um, now for the theologians and scholars in here, like, I don't have a life verse Genesis through Revelation is my life verse, the whole counsel of God. Okay, whatever. This is a verse that's getting me through today. Is anyone thankful for like that one verse that just gets you through the month, that gets you through the day? Come on. John 10, it says, Jesus says this. He says, I have come 
to give you life and life more abundantly. Or the Michael Remix translation would say, I have come to give you life and a better life than you've ever dreamed of. But there's moments where we, I remember, where we we come to events like this, we get caught up in just the excitement and the hype, and we feel the good vibe of the music, and the pastor comes up at the end, and he gives the invitation and says, come on, raise your hand if you want a new life. Hands raised, and but let me lead you in this prayer. And we say this prayer and we give our life to Jesus and it's great. And let's say that's a Sunday night and then come Monday, nothing's changed. You say that prayer one night and then the next day you wake up and you're still the same. You wake up that next day, you have the same job that you're praying that God would deliver you from. You wake up and you have the same wife the same husband, you wake up and you have the same kids, and your situation is the same. And oftentimes we think we have this theology that God is going to change everything around us. But God is a lot more interested in changing you from the inside and causing and stirring up a revival in you so that you can affect change on the outside. And I think it's important to read this verse in its entirety. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 10, and some of you guys have done that already. But this, this passage of Scripture, it's, it's entitled, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. And it says this, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Jesus is talking, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Come on, if you are in Teen Challenge right now, you are in a season where you're fasting from the world and you're feasting on God's word. Come on, is anyone excited that God has chose you? Come on, you think you chose Teen Challenge. God chose you for such a time as this so that you would learn his voice. When he has brought all, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and sheep follow him because he knows his voice. But they will never, never follow a stranger. Come on, I hope that tonight you would catch such a vision for your life, such a God dream, that you wouldn't waste any of your resources or time or anything less on what God has for you. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. I love Jesus because he's so patient, isn't he? Like, I don't know, if it was me, I would have gotten frustrated. I would have gotten upset that these religious leaders, come on, you, you know the Torah, like you study the law, like are you not picking up what I'm putting down? But Jesus is so patient, he's so full of grace. Is anyone thankful 
for God's patience on your life? Is anyone thankful that God didn't just give up on you? He wasn't like, oh, we've seen this before. Second time in teaching, yeah, I've seen this before. I, oh, rededication, he rededicated his life. How cute, we've seen this before. Come on, God's not up in heaven where the air conditioner is blasting, playing the new FIFA 2020. Come on, he sent Jesus to earth because he cares that much about us that he wants rest to restore creation, humanity, to the creator. Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Hold up, Jesus, I thought you said that you're the shepherd. You can't mix metaphors. You, you can't be the shepherd and the gate. That, make, that doesn't make sense. Jesus is like, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. Very true. I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, go out, find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I have come to give life and life to the full. A better life than you've ever dreamed of. Now, my wife and I, we are planting a church uh, in East Hollywood. And, um, yeah, ooh. Barrio Locos Por Vida. I know a little bit of Spanish, like just enough to recognize the bad words. And then I can, like, confront them. And I know just enough to, like, say, like, uh, yo necesito... Tres tacos de asada. And then they'll say, like, um, para aquí. And I'm like, what? Like, you just lost me. Like, I was hoping you were just going to trust me at that and think that I know Spanish. But we're planting this church. And um, before that, we, we, had, we just recently uh, moved closer to Hollywood. And we lived in Lakewood. I don't know if anyone knows where that is. It's kind of like east of Long Beach. Yeah, it's horrible. It's like, it's a wilderness. <laughs> Um, we lived there for a couple years, and prior to that, I'm giving you just a little bit of context and history. We lived in Hollywood for five years. We're part of two different church plants. I was a youth pastor at a nonprofit that worked with inner city kids, and it was great. So we lived in Hollywood, newly married. We met at the Teen Challenge Marriage Ministry Institute, and um, we met there, and afterwards we moved to Hollywood, and it was great. It was fantastic. Now, I got into riding bicycles right, because I read this book um, by an author that was saying just like how um, creation, like you get, you get excited and you get like creative juices flowing when you in get, involve yourself in recreation, like you, you get inspired to create in recreation. So I was like, okay, I need a hobby. So I started riding bicycles. Now, not just any bicycle, I started riding these bikes called Fixies. Has anyone ever heard of them? Okay, so if you do not know, there is uh, track bikes that are ridden in a velodrome, which is that banked circular track. Someone got the brilliant idea that they're going to take those bikes and they're going to ride them on the street. Now, I, I just fell in love with the subculture in Los Angeles of these guys that would ride these bikes. I would participate in races where, like Tour de France, they shut down streets and they have cute cars that go behind the racers. Now, there's races called Alley Cats where... Same concept, kind of, but they just don't shut down the street, and you're given a manifest, which is like a map that you're supposed to go to all these checkpoints, and there's absolutely no order. You just have to go to all of them and do a certain thing. So if you can imagine, there's these crazy people riding around L.A. City, these bikes running red lights and weaving in and out of traffic. It's amazing. By the grace of God, I am still here. But I just fell in love with bikes. 
Now, I have an addictive personality. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what it is. I just, that's my personality. If I am into anything, it could be about tennis. And I'm like, brother, let me show you my backhand. Like, it could be anything. Like, whatever it is, I am all about it. And if you are in my friend circle, trust and believe, I'm going to get you spandex. I'm going to get you racket. We are going to play tennis. It doesn't matter. So my wife knows this about me. So I got her a fixed gear bicycle. It was a smaller one. It had the front brake. It was really cute. I like made it and customized it from scratch. And I was hoping that she would get into this like bicycle subculture with me. Didn't work. So I am very persistent. I do not give up. And so I got a beach cruiser and I like, it was the sweetest beach cruiser. It had like the fenders, you know, on the front and back, and it had the wide handlebars. And I even bought this like seat on Amazon, like shout out to Amazon Prime, anyone thankful? Oh, you guys, oh, never mind. sorry, dang it. You guys are like, dude, I hate you. <laughs> we'll have an altar call and you can get healing at the end of this. Um, I, got, I got on Amazon Prime this seat that was like worth more than the bike. It was this throne, right? Because I just wanted to invest into her that she's like the queen. Let me just pause here. Husbands, your wives are a reflection of you. I can always tell a great pastor because I just look at the wife. I can always tell a great leader because I just look at the wife. If the wife's not happy, there is a disconnect and something's going on. So as husbands, it is our jobs to speak life over our wives, to prophesy over our wives, to build them up, not to love them conditionally, but unconditionally, and give ourselves up for them as Christ has given himself up for us. So back onto this bike. It was great. It was a beach cruiser. It was fantastic. Now, we lived on the fourth floor of this apartment in Hollywood, and we kept our bikes. Not mine, though. Mine was framed in the living room because it was amazing. Um, her bikes, <laughs> her bikes were kept outside and like with a Walmart cable that was ran through them. Now we had a camera outside of our apartment. Some of you know where this is going. We had the camera outside of our apartment. Surely no one is going to have the audacity to steal our bikes from the fourth floor with a camera here in our apartment. One morning we woke up, we, we opened the door and we saw the cable was cut. Someone had stolen our bikes. Now, if you're in here and you've had something stolen from you, it is the most violating, it is the most painful experience. I mean, right? You feel so violated that someone entered your space and they stole something right out from under you. And typically, the more value that that thing has, the more upset and the more pain that is attached to that value, of the, that object being lost, being stolen. I was upset. Come on, I, I was saved, but I hadn't always been a Christian. So trust and believe your boy got in my car. I turned on KDOT, Meek Mill, like whatever. I just turned up the radio and I went searching, listening to the guide inside, trusting Jesus that he was going to lead me to the perpetrators that stole our bikes and I was going to lay my hands on them in Jesus' name. Now, by the grace of God, I didn't find them. Else I probably wouldn't be here. 
But you know what? I'm more upset about our bikes being stolen than some of you are that there's a real thief trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. I know that we like to phone in on Jesus' words that he's come to give us life and life more abundantly, but on the flip side of that, there's a real enemy and a real thief, and I don't think I have to do any convincing with this crowd tonight that there's a real thief trying to destroy your life. Now, the fact that you're here, I mean, what, what more do you need for God to do to, to, like, demonstrate that he's got a calling on your life? I mean, that God chose you to be here in this cutting-edge discipleship program, to be here in this Bible college. Come on, I've been all over the world, and I don't, I'm not saying that, like, look at me, but I've been to Central South America, the Philippines. I've been all over the world in these countries to see people that are hungry for the Lord, that wish they had a moment, like a season where they could just study God's word, to learn God's word, to memorize God's word, to have sweet fellowship, to pray for one another in just a season where they don't have to worry about people barging in and like killing them. But here you are. God loves you so much that you are here. I mean, think about some of your friends that aren't here. But you are here. And this season, this time, it's what you make out of it. Come on, time is not your enemy. Time is your ally. I was a personal trainer for a while. I know I don't look like it. I have a beard that hides my double chin, whatever. But I would train people, and people would come up to me and say, Michael, hey, you know, I just want one session with you. I just want one personal training session. And I'd say, uh, you didn't just get like that overnight. You didn't just have one Big Mac. <laughs> like, you had many Big Macs. Like, you, you had some time eating Big Macs that, like, you got like that. Like, so I would sell people on programs. It was just a gym word that really it's a contract. And we would, I would sell people on that because you need time. You need a lot of time, like, to shed that residual weight. You need time to really, like, train your body into submission to where you don't want Big Macs anymore. In the same sense, God has placed you here so that you start craving God's word and craving his voice that gives life that when you get released from here, you don't want Big Macs anymore. You don't want to eat that stuff anymore because you know that it's not good for you. Because God's word gives life. And the same way that God's word gives life, Jesus is life, he is the embodiment of life, the enemy understands the same tactic that God uses to give us life. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first time that he uses that tactic against us. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there. Genesis chapter 3. No, I'm kind of going to summarize it for sake of time and paraphrase the story. But God created Adam and Eve. They are the first humans. They are the first couple. God blesses 
the marriage between a man and a woman, and we see that in Genesis 3. And they are naked, the Bible says, unashamed, eating in the Garden of Eden. Come on, I can't even be naked and unashamed in my own kitchen. But Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed in the Garden of Eden, and they are given two trees in front of them, one that gives life and one that does the opposite. And God tells them, you could have everything. The world is yours. Just do not eat from this tree. Now, I know that we, many of us who have grown up in church, we get on Eve's case, you know, women. You know, women, are the, she's the one that ate of the fruit. It, women messed up everything. But let's just stop for a second. Let's talk about your boy Adam. Come on, man. Like, were you not that good of a conversationalist that your girl was talking to a snake? Like, they have books for that, bro. Let's not, like, forget about Adam. Like, I, to this day, I do not like snakes. Like, any creature that Satan is going to embody is not going to be a pet in my home. I have a three-year-old son, Cove, and I promise and make a solemn vow before you tonight, we are never going to have a snake. Never. Like, think about it. Snakes don't blink. Their eyes are always open, even when they sleep. I remember when I heard that on National Geographic, and the preacher in me was like, that's a message. That's a sermon. The enemy's never sleeping. I could go so many directions with that one. The snake, no, horrible creature, slithers around, stomp on the snake, kill the snake, hate it. Adam and Eve, they make a choice that disconnects them from the harmony that they were created to be with God. They made a decision that broke the relationship. And what's super cool is God sent Jesus essentially to be like the tree of life, like to, to be the thing that was like to give us life. And now because of the finished work of the cross, we have a lot of things through Jesus that, man, like we get to stand in righteousness, Blameless, spotless, pure as snow because of Jesus. Promise, destiny, dreams because of Jesus. And we see that the enemy uses the snake to deceive through speaking and attacking the mind. Gets Adam and Eve all caught up and like rattled on some other thing. Well, did God really say? And all of a sudden they start doubting God. Let me tell you, sin is... When you sin, when you choose, like, to be selfish, when you choose to break the commands of God, ultimately what you are saying is, God, I don't trust that what you have for me is good, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And let me just, like, blatantly say, look at where your own hands have gotten you. Come on. I don't know about you, but when I flew to do my second restoration, I flew from Seattle to San Diego. I was done. I was done trying to do life my way. And some of you have, like, the pride of, like, thinking that, like, you know what's best for your life. Come on, you've been brushing your teeth for, what, three months? 
Like, stop. Those that aren't laughing are like, he just called me out. He just read my mail. You do not know what's best for your life. As a youth pastor, I would tell students all the time, like, don't, don't come up to me and say, you know what? God told me that I'm going to marry Becky. I'm like, really? You're the fourth dude that's told me that today. Like, I would advise our students, like, don't, don't ever, I don't even care if you put, like, a fleece out, like a hood, you put your hoodie out, and everything was dry, and that thing was wet. Like, I don't care. Just don't, like, don't use that language as, oh, I, b- I believe that God's telling me to leave Teen Challenge and go be, you know, take care of my family. Don't tell me that. Because you know what that does? Is it's using, like, it's using God as just, like, a justification for you to be selfish. Like, my friend and I were talking, like, more than likely, probably, maybe, anyone that wants to leave Teen Challenge in this season is wanting to go out and sin. Let's just be real. Because why would God call you to a one-year or 16-month program for you to leave early? Let's just stop thinking that we know what's best for our life and really trust God that what he has for us is good. Come on, when I was growing up in church, I thought the Bible was a list of rules and regulations because these weird Christians didn't want me to have fun. Now, I understand that more than that, the Bible literally is boundaries because God in his sovereignty up in heaven sees like the mess that Adam and Eve got us in and is up there saying, son, daughter, I see these decisions are gonna bring pain to your story. I see that this is gonna cause heartache in your heart. I see that this is gonna tear apart your family and your marriage. Would you trust me? Would you live your life according to my word? Would you build your life on the word of God? Would you build your life on the words of Jesus that bring life and life more abundantly? I don't know about you, but I wanna build my life on the word of God. I have in the history of my family, generation after generation of divorce, drug addiction, alcoholism, and I am standing in the gap saying, not today, Satan. I am building my life on the word of God. Come on, I'm going to be a tree that's planted by streams of living water that bears its fruit in its season. I don't care if it's winter, trust and believe your boy is going to be bearing fruit because I am building my life on the word of God. Anyone else? And Adam and Eve sever that relationship. They sever it. They mess up royally. And God knew he had to do something. He knew he had to risk everything. He knew he had to bankrupt heaven and send his son Jesus. The only one that could keep the law. Do you understand, like prior to this in the Old Testament, there was about 613 plus laws that the people following Jesus had to keep. And they'd mess up and so they'd have to do the burnt offering and the peace offering and all of these different offerings so that they could know where they stand with God. 
Now, let me just like, I don't know about you, but I would read my Bible. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And I would get to Leviticus and I'd be like, uh, psych. Like, what? That just got like really weird, God. Like, that's not really speaking to me. But think about it this way. God's so good. Do you understand at this time, like, uh, earlier this year, I went to Athens, and I went to Corinth, and I got to stand where the Apostle Paul stood on Mars Hill, and I got to look at um, the Acropolis in Corinth where um, they worshiped the god Athena. And at this time in this culture, they didn't know where they stood with all of these gods. So, like, they would, they would make sacrifices of people and animals, and then all of a sudden a ton of rain would happen, and the crops would bloom, but they're like, I don't know if it's really working, so let's just keep doing it. And then, like, it wouldn't work. And then they're like, oh, oh, my gosh, like, something's wrong. It's this person. And, like, there's this whole idea of, like, they just didn't know where they stood with the gods. But here, even in the Old Testament with the Levitical laws, God, in his love and his mercy, gives the Levitical laws to the people because he cares so much and wants them to know where they are at with him that they could be in good standing with him. And now, fast forward to the new covenant. We have Jesus, where ultimately Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice goats and bulls anymore because Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament spoke of. He died in your place. put in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose again so that he might have life and life more abundantly. You know that after Jesus rose, he walked around. First off, let me back up. Do you know who found Jesus? It was women. About a week ago, there was a pastor who made a comment about women in ministry. He said, go home. Women were not, like, reputable sources for, like, events like this. But Jesus is very much about equality. And that was what was so appealing in the first century, was there's now no, neither Greek nor Jew nor male or female. Christianity just leveled the playing field. Jesus revealed himself to women. Who were the first ones to preach the resurrection? Women. And he walks around with holes in his hands and his feet. And even then, I love that the Bible notes this. Thomas doubted. Like Thomas doubted. People even doubted. Like it's recorded in the Gospels. And like, can you just like take a minute and just hear me out? Like, I know that we give the Bible like this thing, like it's man-made. It's man-made. Like it's just a book. It's just a historical book. Dude, think about it for a second. If, if I'm trying to make up, like, if I'm L. Ron Hubbard and I'm trying to make up Scientology, he's a science fiction writer. Like, if you take a tour about Scientology, you see all this science fiction. Like, he's just got a mind of fiction. If I'm trying to make up a religion, why would I include that even after Jesus, the Messiah, resurrected, that people still doubted? Like, that's not convincing. But listen, God cares about your doubts. God cares about your wrestling. And for those of you who are in here and you're even struggling to listen to me, 
praise God. Fact check me. I don't care. Like wrestle. And I'm so thankful for the wrestling because I believe in the wrestling, once you get fully convinced and God reveals himself to you through the Holy Spirit, that you're going to be all in. So keep on wrestling. I'm not worried about it. I wrestle. I know that we serve a faithful God, that he makes everything beautiful in his timing. Is anyone thankful? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 7, it says, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When? Today. And this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. And he said this. He said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I'm going to say that again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Later on in chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Of the heart. God is speaking a lot more than we are listening. I would have students and people come up to me, Pastor Michael, I just don't hear the voice of God. I, like, anyone who says that, that is a clear indicator that you are not reading your Bible. Because I could just like flap Genesis through Revelation of God's faithfulness, of miracle after miracle monument where God came through, where God's promises were yes and amen, where he liberated a people, where he set free a people. God is always speaking. But are we having the ears to hone in and listen? Come on, you will never get this time back. When I was in Teen Challenge, I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. I knew that he had called me to preach. I would write messages. I didn't even know how to put three points together. I didn't know how to exegete scripture. I didn't know how to put together a score outline. I didn't know rationale or objective or how to tie in illustrations. I didn't know anything. But you know what? I took a leap of faith and I trusted that God was speaking to me and I was going to put something together. I was going to listen to great preachers like Judah Smith and Rich Wilkerson Jr. I don't know. I just loved them at the time. They dress nice. I would listen to these guys and I would listen to how they put together messages. And I'd be like, I don't know what they're doing, but I think it goes something like this. And I would stand in the back of TCMI parking lot when nobody was around and I would preach to like the marijuana smoke permeating that L.A. air. And you know what? I remember my fourth quarter at TCMI. And as the band comes up to help me close, which anytime a preacher says that, it's like another hour. <laughs> this is like a tent revival. It's going to be like three hours. I grew up Southern Baptist. I had an experience with the Holy Ghost and Teen Challenge. I'm like a Bapticostal. Messed with liturgy a little bit. So this could go on for a while. <laughs> Like, we're in Reedley. Like, what else do you have to do? <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> I remember my fourth quarter at TCMI. I remember being in my bunk. I had bottom bunk because I was balling. I was on bottom bunk. Come on, if you know the struggle, give me an amen. amen. I finally got bottom bunk. And I was in the back, and it was like the gap in between time where we were getting ready for fundraising or I don't know what. And there were some guys hanging out by the sink. 
And they were talking about, man, when I graduate, I'm going to go here. Hey, when I graduate, I already got this job. I already got that. And they started talking about people. Hey, did you hear about where, where she's going? Oh, yeah, 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 she got that job. And they, my name came up. Twitter fingers became trigger fingers, and it got ugly real quick. And they said, oh, what about Michael Bowles? Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> going nowhere. It's an idiot. They're not too far off. <laughs> He's going nowhere. And come on, you, you guys know that old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I just want to punch whoever said that in the throat. That is so not true. Words hurt. Come on, I still remember that negative word from that fifth grade teacher. Maybe some of you have negative words sticking to you tonight. You'll never change. You're a drug addict. Always going to be a loser. Messed up. Yeah, you're going to go to a rehab again? How cute. And I remember when they said that about me, I had a moment where like Adam and Eve did, where the serpent tried to deceive them and have them doubt what God really said. And I had to take that thought captive and beat it under submission before the Lord. And I had to place my trust, like the psalmist says, in Jesus. Notice how the psalmist says, I have to place my trust in Jesus. He has to place it there because it was displaced. And we have moments following Jesus where that doubt comes in, where the snake comes in. And our, our doubting doubts, we're like, we're a mess. and We are full of fear. But come on, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God has called us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with, all of our, with every ounce of our being. And I had to choose in that moment that I'm not going to listen to what these yahoos are saying about me, but I'm going to trust that what God has for me is good, and I'm going to stand on my tippy toes on my vans a little bit and have a little bit of faith beyond what I'm seeing right now that what God has for me in my future is good. There's a guy I love, like, I love dead guys. <laughs> Not in like a weird way. <laughs> I just love like dead theologians. I love dead pastors and preachers. You know why? Because I referenced Judah Smith and Rich Wilkerson Jr. And they're fantastic. They're incredible. But I love dead guys like Smith Wigglesworth, Leonard Ravenhill, David Wilkerson. You know why? Because you know how they finish. Come on, anyone could start. Anyone could start with a ton of gumption and a ton of passion. But it's character that is gonna help you finish the race. I've seen too many young people in Los Angeles that had a gift, they had a voice, they got a platform way too soon, and you know what the enemy does? He'll let you have that secret sin that doesn't get exposed, and it could go on for years. He'll let you get that platform. He'll let you get that following. He'll let you get that influence. Will you think that that sin is not affecting your soul? And he's got the intention of when you do fall, and you will with secret sin, 
because ugly things grow in the dark. When you do fall, you're going to hurt more people. You're going to taint the name of Jesus. And more people are going to walk away from the faith because of you and that secret sin that you didn't deal with. Jesus' words give life. And right now in this moment, he's saying, son, daughter, bring that thing into the light. And I'm thankful for guys like David Wilkerson who had enough character to finish the race well. Maybe some of you have heard of David Wilkerson. I don't know. But David Wilkerson was a small-town preacher in Pennsylvania. And he got newspaper clippings and newspaper articles about these boys that were on trial for murder in New York City. And his heart began to beat out of his chest. And a burden began to grow for his neighbor for these young boys that were caught up believing the lies of the enemy. And he found himself commuting to New York because out of love and compassion that these boys would find Jesus and find his voice that gives life. And eventually he moves to New York City. And at this point, New York was notorious for the drugs the violent gangs, prostitution was rampant. New York was no Pasadena. <laughs> New York was an ugly place. And he heard the voice of God that gives life, moved him with compassion to New York, and he found himself preaching on street corners of gang-infested neighborhoods. And one day he's doing what he always does. He's preaching on a milk crate on the corner of a neighborhood. And this notorious gang leader named Nicky Cruz comes up to him and says, hey David, I don't want you preaching on my corner anymore. And if I see you here talking about Jesus and the gospel and this good news, I'm gonna cut you up into a million pieces. And David Wilkerson, with the power of the Holy Spirit, come on, when you got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you roar like a lion. You have boldness that is shut up in your bones that you have to release. David Wilkerson looks Nikki Cruz, Cruz in the face, says, Nikki, you could cut me up into a million pieces, but every single one of those pieces is gonna scream back, I love you. Nikki had never experienced love like this. Nikki had never experienced boldness like this before. And Nikki went off, continued getting high, and continued the lifestyle. And David Wilkerson's words haunted him. Can I just tell you, it's nights like tonight where God speaks into your spirit. You could try to run, but God's going to haunt you. You could try to run, but God's going to relentlessly pursue you. You could try to do your own thing, but God's going to continue to chase you down with, and overwhelm you with his love. Nikki was overwhelmed by this type of boldness and love. And David Wilkerson was leading 
a meeting very similar to this one. He preached a fantastic message about the good news of the gospel, how it's a good announcement, but it's also in an invitation to participate in the new thing that Jesus is doing on the earth. And he gave an invitation, an altar call at the end that similar to what most pastors do. Anyone who wants to accept Jesus, anyone hearing God's voice, anyone believe that Jesus' words give life and we want to respond to his words, come forward. And from the back of the room, down the side of that room, walked Nikki Cruz. And there was a deafening silence in the room as everyone looked at Nikki Cruz coming forward because they knew the despicable things that he had done. They had seen the atrocities that his hands had committed in acts of violence. And there was a silence in awe of what God was about to do as Nikki Cruz came up. That night, Nikki Cruz accepted Jesus. And David Wilkerson started an amazing Christian rehabilitation program called Teen Challenge. Has anyone heard of it? I'm thankful for David Wilkerson listening to God's voice because if it wasn't for David Wilkerson, I don't know if I'd be here. If it wasn't for David Wilkerson, I don't know if I would have met my wife. If it wasn't for David Wilkerson, I don't know if I'd have an amazing three-year-old baby boy named Cole. What you don't know in my story is I had two different girls that had abortions with my kid. And that hurt me. Because more than anything, I feel like when I was in Teen Challenge, God had just put in my heart a desire to have a family. And the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. Now I stand before you is a testimony of God's redemption. That God has taken what the enemy has meant for harm for me and blessed me with an amazing family. You look at my wife, you look at me, you can't help but say, God is good. David Wilkerson in April of 2009 got in a head-on car accident, died on impact. Instantly, head-on collision with like a tractor truck, died on impact. I'm looking at a room that is pregnant with potential tonight. I am looking at a room of world changers. I am looking at a room full of awakening and revival for right now, this current cultural moment. And I'm wondering if there is anyone in this room that is willing to stand up and say, I know that that happened to David Wilkerson in April 2009, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to take his place. I'm going to see a victory in the land of the living. If that's you, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, Subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.